my family is from South Knoxville. Uh, and whoop, whoop, uh, go Vols. Yes, loving it, loving it. Come on. Uh, anyway, uh, my family's from South Knoxville, and uh, my grandparents lived on a piece of land that had been in their family for uh, over a hundred years. Uh, they had a dairy farm there when my grandfather uh, <coughs> was a little boy and grew up on that dairy farm. My grandfather's now 96 years old. Uh, but one of the great things about living uh, near my grandparents or coming to see my grandparents, we moved to Texas uh, later uh, in my uh, teenage years, uh, young years before teenager. Anyway, we moved to Texas, and we would come back and stay with my grandparents for uh, several weeks out of the summer, and we would stay at their house, and uh, it'd be a wonderful time. Uh, we would get to play uh, on my granddaddy's farm. We would uh, cut some cane poles off the cane brake, throw some line on the end of that cane pole, add a hook, and dig worms in places where People wouldn't dig worms normally today, but uh, and, and wouldn't recommend it. Well, actually, I would. If you want some worms, you go to cow patties. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> we would dig worms. We'd catch catfish and brim and sauger and uh, even an occasional bass out of Stock Creek. It was a great time. Uh, one of my favorite times was Sunday lunch. Uh, we would get up, and our families would get together, and we would go to church on Sunday. Now, my grandmother and my granddaddy had six children. My mom was the second of those six children. <clears throat> and of those six children, there are multitudes of grandchildren. And uh, I had four daughters, and uh, uh, the grandchildren had uh, several children, and so they're great-grandchildren. And now, uh, granddaddy has a great-great-grandchild. Uh, her name is Nora, in case you didn't know. Um, anyway, uh, before all that happened, uh, we would have uh, the six children and their spouses and their children, and we would have Sunday lunch. We would go to church, and then coming back from church, grandmother would spend all morning fixing a delicious meal that we would all enjoy. It was uh, uh, pot roast and mashed potatoes and gravy and greens from the garden and green beans, Ugh! green beans from the garden and uh, it would be uh, uh, corn on the cob and, and biscuits that were homemade, sometimes cornbread. And grandmother would fix all these wonderful delights and fix it for, as it were, an army. But my favorite thing that grandmother fixed was her fried okra. And I don't know exactly how she did it, and Edie knows it's the best fried okra you could ever eat. Uh, whatever she did, it was spectacular. And I loved her fried okra. And that's what I was always looking forward to, uh, except for a chocolate pie. She made the best chocolate pie. But, but for the real meal, or the, at least the precursor to the chocolate pie, I wanted some fried okra. But I was the low man on the totem pole. I, I wasn't the oldest. Uh, I was close to being the youngest. And what would happen on those Sunday lunches is all these other people, uh, my uncles and my aunts, would go through and and they would get all the fried okra. I would come to that tray, that bowl with fried okra, and it would be empty, and I would be so distressed. And, and it felt as if I was being neglected because I couldn't have any fried okra. That happened a couple of times when my grandmother noticed it. And I'm not saying I was my grandmother's favorite grandchild, but I was. <laughs> grandmother noticed that I had to go without my fried okra 
and she saw the disappointment on my face, and, and she resolved to solve that neglect for her grandchild, Eric. She determined that she was going to help me because she loved me and she cared for me. And what she would do is she would take a little, one of her little cereal bowls, a little milk bowl, and, and she would put some fried okra in there and she would put it aside. And I remember walking through the line and there wasn't any fried okra. And she said, little Eric, come here. She called me little Eric. Little Eric, come here. And I said, yes, grandmother. And she said, I've got something for you. I said, okay. And it was a bowl of fried okra. She cared about me. And she didn't want me to feel neglected. You know, in the early church, the church had grown dramatically. And there were 3,000 saved and then 5,000 saved. And then every day people were being saved and added to the church. And they were growing dramatically. And there were people in the midst of that great growth who were experiencing feelings of neglect. Look at Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Acts chapter 6 verse 1 says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, a couple of terminologies here. Uh, first of all, the church uh, was taking care of the widows. They, they wanted to make sure the widows were cared for, their daily physical needs. But the Hebrews and the Hellenists, the Hebrews were the Jewish uh, folks that spoke primarily Hebrew and Aramaic. And then you have the Hellenists. The Hellenists were the Jewish folk who spoke primarily Greek, and they were two cliques in the church that had formed, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. And the Hellenists weren't getting their due. It's like little Eric coming up to an empty bowl of, of uh, fried okra. And so the church began to experience a, a sense of division, some complaint, because uh, some of the church was feeling neglected. Instead of arguing about the neglect and, and, and rationalizing how that the neglect really wasn't real neglect, it was just make-believe neglect, and we really do care about all people, that's not the approach they took. It's kind of a good lesson for us. Instead of arguing about how, how you, your feelings are not really that important, what's really important is what I'm telling you you should feel. Now, the apostles said, let's fix this. Let's make sure everybody in the church knows that we care. In fact, I would suggest that the way they handled this uh, accentuated, put an exclamation point on the fact that the church is family. Now look to the person to your right and say, we are family. Look to the person to your left and say, we are family. Look to the person behind you and say, we're family. Look at the person up here and say, we are family. You see, as we saw last week, God has formed the church to be Christ's family in this world. And as his family here called First Norfolk, uh, it, it's not enough for us to give reasons why you're not being cared for. What we have to do is set up to serve so that everyone feels that sense of care for each other. And that's what happened in the first church. And, and I want you to look down in verse 7 because it, verse 7 says, whatever they did, it worked. In verse 7, 
Scripture says, then the word of God spread. So after they came up with a solution, the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What's amazing is the solution to which uh, the, the church, the family of faith embraced led to the gospel's advance, led to the church fulfilling her purpose. Now, you remember what our purpose is. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Our purpose as the first Norfolk family, our purpose, the reason we exist is to tell others who Jesus is and to grow them up as followers of Christ so that they go out as missionary followers of Christ. That's our purpose. And whatever it was that the church did there in in between verses 1 and 7, that's what we need to pursue. What kept the church from being derailed by uh, by division uh, is something that we need to do. And what was it that they did? They set up to serve. The church fulfills our purpose, her purpose, when we set up to serve. When we set up to serve. Service is not some minor thing in the church. In fact, I would contend that because of the DNA that Jesus has given his family, serving others is a high ethic. It's it's a high priority. That's what we see in the first church. If you look at verse 1, it says that, that they were involved in daily distribution. You know what that means? It means every day they looked at the needs of the church family and they sought to meet those needs. Every day they sought to serve the physical needs of those who were in their family of faith. It wasn't just a passing fancy. It wasn't just an annual exercise. It wasn't just some religious ritual that they pursued on an occasion. But rather, it was the daily lifestyle of the church. They were set up to serve. In the same way, that's, that's who we are. But the reason we are like that is because that's what Jesus has taught us. That's, that's the DNA of who we are. Now think about it. Jesus came. And certainly as he knelt before his disciples in John chapter 13 and he began to wash their feet, he was demonstrating this great ethic of service. He said, do you see what I've done to you? And and they said, well, yeah, you washed our feet. And he said, if I being your master uh, will wash your feet, then you need to go and wash each other's feet. There's that that priority of serving others. And it's not about status in the church, and it's not about position, it's about DNA, who we are. John 13, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. But even before that, as Jesus preparing for the cross, he wanted us to hear and understand that, that, that we must be like him. And what did he come to do? He left the throne room of heaven, and he was born in a manger in a stable. And who, he who is fully God became flesh and bone, and he went to a cross to die. Why? To serve sinners, those who were hostile toward him. Look, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. If you've been with me any period of time, if, if, and you haven't memorized Mark 10, 45 yet, you haven't been listening. 
This is one of the key ingredients of family, of church life. Mark 10, 45, Jesus teaches us the DNA of our church when he says, for the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For the church in Acts, serving was a high priority. For this church, serving must be a high priority. I'm not going to argue the fact. That's just the way it is. As some would say, that's just the facts. Serving is not some menial duty that uh, only the lower caste perform. Serving is who we are. Regardless of status position, regardless of, uh, of the place you hold in community, uh, when you gather here, we are family and we serve one another. That's our priority. I, 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 I'm always amazed. I, I grew up in a house, uh, and my wife has, has always been uh, the kind of wife that, that uh, she uh, feels um, compelled to make dinner for me when I get home. And, and I am so thankful for that. And she does such a wonderful job. Thank you, honey. That's marvelous. My, yeah, thank you. And here's the thing. My, my four daughters have not, they're not as whole hog on that as my wife is. <laughs> my, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, my, four, my four daughters are not, I mean, it's not that they're against it. They just, it, it Mama, he can fix his own meal. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I get that. I really do. Because I know that there are some who sit, and I'm talking about guys like me, some who come home and sit in their easy chair, flip on ESPN, uh, get their glass of iced tea, drink it dry, and then jingle the glass with its ice cubes not saying anything, just expecting honey to come fill that glass, right? If you're doing that, stop it. Because the DNA, of, the DNA of a follower of Christ is not to be served, but to serve. And when we come here as family of faith, this is a family. Our goal is not to be served. Our goal is to serve. In fact, I would contend that if you're here today and you're thinking, well, Bill didn't serve me the way Bill needed to serve me, and Betty didn't serve me the way Betty needed to serve me, if that's your first thought, then you're doing it wrong. The priority of the church, the priority that I must have and that we must have together is how can I serve others? We'll come back to that in a second. The second thing I want you to see from the text it's not only that, that the church sets a priority to serving, but, but serving is a family affair. It's, it's something that we all do. Now, I want you to pick up there in verse 2 um, of chapter 6. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, all right, so what they were saying is, hey, this is broken. We need to fix it. They're saying there's something disconnected that we need to address. That's a great, great leadership principle for us. We, we, need to, we need to fix 
what's broken. He says, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should lead the word of God and serve tables. Now, they're not saying that they shouldn't wash other people's feet. What they're saying is that as God had gifted them, their priority was to serve the word. Okay? They, they weren't saying we're not going to serve other people. He's just saying our primary role is to serve the Word. They're going to say it a little bit differently if you, in, in the next verse. He said, oh, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the Word. Okay? And, and so that was, their, that was their primary calling in serving the family. He says, so it's not desirable that we should leave the Word and serve tables. Verse 3, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will devote ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So what the disciples did is they got the entire church together. And they said, okay, we've got to make sure that everyone who is part of this family experiences the care that family should experience. We need to make sure that we're caring for one another. And, and so they, they, they figured out that God wants us to set up this system. Now, these seven men were not responsible as the only people to serve the church. They were set up to take care of this business, verse 3. What that means is they were called to administrate the care of the body of Christ. This family of faith in in the book of Acts, they were called to step up and say, hey, listen, we're going to make sure that everyone is cared for in our family of faith. Now, this is where we get deacons from. If you're a deacon in our church, I want you to stand right now. Every deacon in our church, I want you to stand. Stand right now. Stand. Okay, and stay standing. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Okay, so they picked seven. In the earlier service, there were 14 that were in worship. We'll talk about the deacons who weren't in worship later. Uh, There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Wow. That's a little frightening, 14 and 14. That's pretty cool. So there are 14 men full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, of good report in our family of faith, whom God has set aside in this church to handle the business of caring for one another. I thank God for you men. I thank God for what you do. You are a vital part of this family of faith. And we would not be the family that we are apart from you. Thank you all. Y'all please sit down. They're going to give me critiques about my sermon later, but that's okay. But do you understand this is a family thing? It's not just one of us. It's not just a few of us. But it's all of us. The community of believers was gathered together to figure out how can we make sure that we do a bang-up job in serving one another. And the reason that's important is because that's what Jesus taught us to be and to do. We're called to serve one another. 
The amazing thing is that as God used these men and used this plan, this setup to serve that we have in our church, in our church, we have the same plan as God has, has led to these men and you to be servant leaders, to serve others. Then, verse 7 says, and the word of God grew, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You know, we want to see that kind of growth in our church. We want to see that kind of movement of God's grace uh, in our family of faith and in our community, among our neighbors and the nations. We want to see God do those mighty, miraculous, powerful things. But guys, we've got to make sure that we as a church are not only set up to serve, but that we step up. To serve. You see, it's not enough for us to know that God established this setup in Acts chapter 6. What's even more important is that you and I take ownership for serving others. Look to the person on your right and say, we're family. Look to the person to your left and say, we are family. Look to the person behind you and say, we're family. Y'all look up here and say, we are family. Are y'all tired of that yet? We've got 28 chapters to go. I don't want it to be a slogan. I want it to be a life. I don't want it to be a slogan that we just talk about. I want it to be the life that we live as the church. We are family. And as family, I'm responsible for your care. You're responsible for my care. Just like my grandmother wanted to make sure that little Eric got his fried okra. It's our responsibility to care for one another. So how can we step up to serve? What are some practical things that you and I can do to step up and serve, to make sure that we fulfill uh, our calling, our purpose, and serve one another faithfully? And it's going to take all of us to do this. It can't be just one of us. It takes all of us. So how does that look? It, see a need, meet a need. That, that's pretty simple. See a need. Say it right now. If you're online, say it in the room. Say it. See a need, meet a need. One, two, three. Now that, that's pretty simple, but is that something that we're looking for? You see, so often what happens is uh, we see a need and we ignore a need. We neglect the need. That's not a deacon's job. That's your job. If you are part of this family, you see a need, you meet that need. It's not some other body else's task. You don't need to, to call somebody and say, will you take care of this? If you're part of this family of faith, you see a need, you meet a need. If you need help meeting that need, then sure, let's, let's, get, let's, let's get the band together and let's play some need-meeting songs. But, but my goodness, don't wait for somebody else to take ownership for something that God has put in your care. You see a need, meet a need. And that's what the church was really saying in Acts, and that's what they began and continued to live out every single day. They saw a need, they met a need. Uh, Mike Owen is the chairman of our deacon body, and uh, Mike is, 
in Savannah with his oldest daughter uh, where she's in school and uh, today, but uh, Mike and I share a love for soccer. Now, if you're like Mike and me, in a snobbery kind of way, you call it football, right? But it, it's soccer to y'all. But Mike's favorite team is Liverpool. I don't understand why, but it is. Liverpool beat Manchester United this past Thursday, and that was a great game. But uh, as Mike and I were talking about soccer and about his team, Liverpool, he reminded me that at the end of a game, especially at the end of a win, uh, the entire crowd of 100,000 people pre-COVID and now today, they'll get together and the team will line up near their, their fan base and all the stadium will be filled with a song. You never walk alone. I'm not going to sing it, but I do want you to hear the lyrics. In this song, you never walk alone. It goes, when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high. And don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on, with hope in your heart. You'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. Yeah, that's the theme song of Liverpool, but guys, that could be the theme song of our church as well. You see, what it means for us to see a need, meet a need, is literally for us to say, you'll never walk alone. If you look around this room today and you see someone sitting by themselves, guys, that's an urgency. That is a need to be met. Now, I know that there are some that want to sit by themselves. I would be that kind of person, want to sit by myself. But, but don't worry about that. You need to see that as a need that needs to be met. And you go up to them and you say, hey, listen, I'm Eric Thomas. What's your name? And they say, well, I'm, my name's Bill. And I say, Bill, it's so good to meet you. How are you doing? And, 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 and let's talk a little bit. I don't want anyone. God doesn't want anyone. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want anyone in his family to feel like they're walking alone. And so we step up. And we see people around us, even around us in this room, and we say, I see that person. Now let me stretch out my heart toward that person. Let me care for that person. Let me show compassion for that person. Let me share life with that person. You never, ever, ever walk alone. May God pierce our hearts. You might say, well, I've got my friends, and my friends, we take care of each other. Get over yourself and get over your friends and look outward and see those who need you as their family. And if those friends don't hang around while you're meeting a need, they weren't really the kind of friends you need to hang out with anyway, even in the church. True friends will wait. True friends will join you on that journey. We don't have cliques. We shouldn't have, have, have cliques in this church. 
That's what Galatians 3.28 is really about. It says there's neither slave nor uh, free, neither, neither male nor female, slave nor free, Greek nor, nor, nor uh, non-Greek, whatever it says. So we're all one in Christ. Look, we are family. Let's start treating each other like family, the way Jesus has treated us. See a need, meet a need. And that's for all of us, everybody in this room. Everybody can be involved in serving. Every person can step up to serve in this way. See a need, meet a need. But the second way we step up to serve is we need to understand how God has made you to serve. How has God made you to serve? How has he uniquely called and gifted and equipped you to serve him and his church? In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see this really played out in deep theological fashion. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uh, compares the church to a body. And Jesus is the head of the body, and, and we're members or parts of the body. And he says there are some feet, and there are some mouths, and there are some eyes, and there are some ears, and there are some thumbs, and there are some toes. If you had to pick which part of the body I am, what would you say I am? I'm not being rhetorical. What, what would you say? Mouth. Thank you so much. I, I was going to say the beautiful countenance or something like that, you know. No, it's the mouth. Of course, I'm the one who uh, does so much talking. I'm the mouth. And, and, and that's, that's okay. But, but if all the church has is a mouth and you don't have an ear, it's a one-way conversation. There's no growth. There's no development there. If, if all you have, a, have is a mouth but you don't have feet, then all you're doing is talking. You're not doing if all you have is a mouth and you don't have hands to apply the, the, the work and the effort and, and hold another hand and, and you don't have arms around which you can surround those who are hurting, look, we, we, a mouth is not enough. And so Paul says, hey, listen, we're all part of the body. Each one of us individually created on the anvil of God's salvation for the good works he's given us. That's what Ephesians 2.10 is saying. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's special work of art. That in salvation he has made us brand new so that we might do good works that he has prepared for us to do. And those good works include serving others, stepping up to serve. Not sitting in our easy chair, clinking our glass of ice, waiting for somebody to pour us some tea. He's calling us to step up and serve according to the unique giftedness that he's given us. Now listen, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, beginning in verse 15, he says, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole, uh, uh, if the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But God has placed the members, each one, just as he is pleased. Do you realize God has made you uniquely so that your unique gifts and abilities can be applied to what we desire, what he desires for us to do as a church so that we might serve him and serve one another and advance the gospel. 
When you're sitting on the sideline not serving, the body of Christ is limping. Did you hear that? When you're sitting on the sideline not serving, the body of Christ is limping. We all need to be involved as God has called us to be involved. So what does that mean for you? Well, I, I know that God has made each of us individually and each, each of us uniquely, and, and I wouldn't presume to know how that you are to serve God in the church and serve others in the church. But can I tell you that in this day, especially at this time, uh, our church has been working at a shrunk capacity. Limited size, limited, uh, limited capacity, limited ministry. And friends, I've got to tell you, unless our leaders step up, our servant leaders step up and decide, hey, listen, God's calling me to serve in our children's ministry. God's equipped me and enabled me to serve in our children's ministry. Or God's equipped me and called me, enabled me to serve in our, in our preschool ministry. Or God's equipped me and called me, uh, calling me to serve in, in our student ministry. Unless, unless our leaders, our servant leaders step up and fulfill that calling in their life, then we're still going to maintain a shrunk capacity. And we need you to step up and serve. You can, serve, you can serve in our worship ministry. You can serve in, in, in our media ministry, our welcome ministry. You can, you can serve in, 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 in our benevolence ministry. There's so many different ways you can serve through Big Serve and our monthly projects. There's so many ways for you to serve. And by the way, if you are a grouchy person, you are not gifted to work on welcome. Right? Does that make sense? If, if you are just, you know, some, there's Oscar the Grouch somewhere in you, or if there's Eeyore in you, whatever, if, if that's who you are, then do media. These guys behind the camera, they're all grouchy, but they're great. <laughs> they're not. They're, they're a special kind of people, and I love them. But, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, uh, God has gifted you, and he's equipped you. Um, but you got to stay in that lane of his equipping. If you hate children, you don't have any business working in children's ministry. Does that make sense? God's gifted you and he's equipped you. So we want to help you find that gifting and that calling in the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to launch this process by which we help you discover your giftedness and how you can serve. Maybe you already have that in your gut. I need to serve in media, or I need to serve in worship, or I need to serve in welcome. And God's already planted that on you. You've been working through that. If that's the case, then I'll tell you what you can do with that in a second. Then there are some in this room, and God's calling you to be a deacon. God's calling you to be a deacon. You say, well, you know, I'm just not, I'm not cut out to be a deacon. Well, if God's called you to it, then you're cut out for it. Full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, of a good reputation. God's called you to it. And in your gut, you're, 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 right now, you're, you're kind of wrangling around with that. And you say, oh my goodness, I really don't think that's me, but I, I can't really escape it. I pray that God won't let you rest until you say, yes, God wants me to be a deacon. Then there are some of you, God's calling you to ministry. 
a ministry like I've got, you know, this kind of ministry, and, or ministry like Julie Hunt has or Jan Frost has. It's ministry where God is calling you, and, and, and he's equipping you, and he's equipped you, and, and, and he's saying, I, I want to raise you up so that you can minister um, for me and for the church. He's calling you to a sense of vocational ministry. I remember when God called me. I, I was an accounting major in, in, in uh, college, and, and, and I was the son of a preacher man. I had no desire to be a preacher. I knew what that looked like, and I, I, honestly, I, I, I just had no, I had no desire to be that. But there was a yearning in my heart and a, a, just this, this beating up inside my soul, and I just couldn't escape it. And so finally, uh, I went uh, to see mom and dad who were living in Oklahoma at the time, and I was just telling dad, dad, I, 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 I mean, I just can't get over this. And, and dad uh, very kindly said, now, Eric, I want you to know, God's not trying to play mind games with you. If he wants you to be a preacher or a pastor, just tell him you'll do it. If he wants you to be a ditch digger, just tell him you'll do it. What, just tell him, whatever you want me to do, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. And, and so dad left, and I got down on my knees there at a creek bank, and, and we've been fishing, of course, and, 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 and I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, I, I, I just, I, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, God, I just, I just want to, I need some peace about all this. I need, I need some escape from this. I, I, I want to do what you want me to do. Just tell me what it is and I'll do it. No bells, no whistles, the sky didn't open that day. But on Sunday, the very next day, mom and I were walking into the church building where my dad was pastor and as soon as we opened the doors, a flood of certainty overwhelmed me. And I knew then and there that God had called me to be a pastor or a preacher. Never, ever doubted that call. Maybe God is calling some of you in that way. Maybe not the same way, but he's saying, I want you to lay it all on the line and say yes to me. God, whatever you want me to do, whatever it looks like, that's what I'm going to do. Maybe he's calling you to be a church planter. Maybe he's calling you to be a missionary. Maybe he's calling you to be on staff at a church. Maybe he's calling you to co-vocational ministry. Maybe he's calling you to, to help us uh, with a scattered church uh, start. Maybe, maybe he's calling you to, uh, to train for, for some other capacity in ministry. Would you say yes to him today? So here's what I want you to do. I, I don't want to leave you without some action to take. And so um, if you sense that there is some place in this church that God is calling you to serve him, whether it's media or worship or welcome or students or children or preschool, I want you to email pastor at firstnorfolk.org. And once you, once you send that email, say, Pastor, I want to serve in missions, or I want to serve uh, uh, in, in uh, student ministry, or I want to serve with the next big serve project. You, you, you email that, then another person that God has called out in special service, Patty Center, who has been my administrative assistant since I came here for 18 years. Patty has been gifted by God in a unique way to be the liaison between me and the body of Christ, this family of faith. 
And she receives those emails, and then she will help organize those emails, and we will get in touch with you, and we will help put you into that place of service. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know what all this deacon is, uh, but I sense that maybe that's me, just send the email. You say, Pastor, I, I, I really have sensed that God's calling me to some sort of ministry. I don't know what it looks like, but I, I need to talk to somebody about that. Pastor at firstnorfolk.org. You see, until we all step up to serve the way God has set us up, our family will limp. So let's stop limping and let's start serving. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As we close today, we're going to sing a song. It's a wonderful song, a hymn that leads us before God's presence with a cry of our heart, asking God to to nourish our soul with His presence to help us. You're here today, and you're in the midst of struggle, and, and, and I want you to know you're not in this alone. You'll never walk alone as you're part of this family of faith, but, but you're in this struggle, and you just need some help right now. Look up. Look up to God. This song's going to help us cry out to Him with confidence that we can trust Him, that He will satisfy our soul and He will nourish us completely. So, Father, as we sing this praise to You, we ask that You would be glorified among us, that You would speak clearly to us, that You would help those who are broken by life's circumstance, that You would bless those who are burdened by life's pains. God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your protective care. And as we worship you, may you, by your Holy Spirit, just settle among us. And may we sense and know your powerful presence. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.